And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen, and Merry Christmas. Good good morning and Merry Christmas to you and to the listeners. We appreciate you being here with us this morning. We're going to be on for the next hour or so. My name is Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, as you just heard, and... Uh, with me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. We're usually here together, and uh, uh, we're glad to be with you this morning. And it's not a cold Christmas day, is it? <laughs> Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. I, I have a son named Adam, and he we was thinking about this yesterday. He is um, he's always joking around that the day before Christmas Eve is Christmas Adam. That's what he calls it. So we'll do different things anyway. Anyway, I, who knows? A family joke. But we're glad that you're here this morning. We appreciate it. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers and the contact information. We'd love to have you participate this morning. You can feel free to call, and we'll be glad to discuss anything that's on your mind with you, positive, negative. Maybe you just want to make a comment. You don't have to have a discussion point or anything controversial. Maybe you'd just like to make a comment about something that's on your mind. And uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, you. You can also feel free to disagree with us. Maybe something you've heard in the past or even uh, something you hear today cause you to disagree. We'd be glad to hear from you about that. And our rules are, you know, you call up, you get patched through to us. We're doing it from Skype. We'll take your calls and comments. We're, we may respond to that one way or the other. Agree, disagree, make another side comment, and you're willing to you're w- welcome to respond. We're going to give you the last word. And however the conversation goes this morning, so you'll know that it's not going to be just a one-sided affair where you're not allowed to talk. And um, we appreciate you giving us that same kind of opportunity to respond back and forth. That's the nature of we are, of the show. We are just Christians. So you can reach us at the regular call-in number for WPSL, which is uh, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. 3401590 is the regular call in number. Now Gary and I, Gary Jones and I each have cell numbers which uh we give out to you that you can text us on. You can text during the show and we'll do our best to uh you know grab your text and comment on it or bring at least bring it into the show. Uh we and and you can text us anytime during the week. And so um you know you'll have those opportunities. The two text numbers are 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, and then you then and then the other number is 772-260-6220. Those are the two text numbers. Like I say, feel free to text us anytime on those numbers and we'll do our best to respond to you. If we don't respond, text us again because it's not something intentional. It's just something that we uh, we may have missed it or overlooked it or something like that. So go ahead and call us. Well, we have a caller already this morning on the line. Okay. Uh, Gary, so what's on your mind, Ken? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good, okay, what's up? Uh, on your mind, go ahead. About um, I texted you some scriptures. Yes, I saw that. Yes. Before we start. Daniel 9, 28 
24th and 27th. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. John 12, 13. Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Zechariah 9, 9. Luke 19.37 and Matthew 23.39. This is mostly based on the Daniel description. It's based on what, Ken? The scripture we're going to read first in Daniel. Oh, okay. Let me let me turn over there. I was writing those down. So you want Daniel 9.24 first? You, you got that, Gary? Yeah. Yeah, 24.25. Twenty-four and twenty-five. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Do you want to keep going? No, that's fine. That's enough. Okay, so um, what the scripture is talking about is not when Jesus is born. It's when he comes into Jerusalem. The specific... You agree with okay. that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably generally right. I, I'll make... Let me make this general comment about... Pro, I know this isn't where you want to go, Ken, probably, I'm guessing, from the, the verses that you mentioned, but uh, a lot of prophecies that we can now see are specific or at least we think they might be very specific are, are not necessarily distinguished as such during biblical times or especially when they were written it's in other words we're seeing things from a very micro point of view that you have you know christ's birth being announced you have him being born you have him growing up you have him doing a ministry and you know all these different discrete events in the life of christ most of these prophets were simply predicting, making predictions about a time, a, a, an era uh, of, a, of the Messiah. And they weren't distinguishing specific events many times. Sometimes they were. Yeah. So I would say the 70 weeks, most of the time, most people think this is more about the general time frame of Christ coming into the world, not just being born, but him coming into the world and being the well, Messiah. Th- you know, Obviously, at least to me, 24 is his accomplishments. Well, yeah, including his whole life, not just right. His and and, and 20, 26 after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off. So we're 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 basically looking at the death, burial, and resurrection in 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 some of these accomplishments. So this covers probably some of these things were not completely accomplished for a, a generation around his lifetime. Well, and that's right. And they are there, but there are also some specific. So go, go ahead and make the point you want to make, Ken. I'm, we're getting you astray. Okay. Um, you ever hear of Sir Robert Anderson? Robert Anderson? You know, it's not ringing a bell with me. 
Yeah, probably not. Probably should. Shows my ignorance. But... What's that? Calling called coming coming prince. In 1894. He was uh, he was a police commissioner in London from 1888 to 1901 and a theologian. And he, from the scriptures here and the scriptures I'm talking about today, figured out that this prophecy is specific to the very day that the Prince or Jesus, the Messiah, would come on Palm Sunday. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try to explain that to you. Uh, was, was he saying these prophecies in Daniel are yet to be fulfilled? Is that what he's saying? Well, he this Daniel prophesied this, or was told by God, yes, 483 years before it happened to the day. Yeah. So this is not a. He's not. Gary's asking whether this guy was saying these were future events to us, us are, or past events to us. I think you're saying these were past, past events, events to us. That's about the coming of Christ the first, when he came in the flesh, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That helps. Sometimes. Sometimes it's not clear. Okay, so a couple a couple of things here in the verse we just read. The two significant things is the prince comes, and I I don't know if you mentioned it might have been in one of the verses further down. It mentions the wall. Yeah, verse significant it's in, it's because in verse, it points to time. Verse 26 points to a time when he will be cut off and the city shall be destroyed. And uh, he would confirm, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm concentrating on verse 25, which is only talking about when he comes. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's, let's go to Nehemiah 2. Verse 1. Okay, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. And now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? There is, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Mm-hmm. So, he, so the rest of that scripture, then Nehemiah says, well, he says, why are you sad? So he prays and he says, well, my, the city's Jerusalem is broken down and more or less I need to go fix it. And, and so. Yeah, and specifically, I think I mentioned the walls. Uh, I, yeah, he, he says, uh, the king said. How will your journey be in verse six? When will you return? And so he set a time and so forth. Uh, um, I'm trying to see where it says the wall there. 
make timber beams for the uh, chamber of the temple. Yeah, uh, verse uh, eight, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he m must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple and for the city wall and for the house I will occupy. So the king granted me, them to me according to the good hand of my God, which was upon me. So he gets permission from the king and orders to the people that are still there to give him the things he needs to build the wall. It's the specific mention of rebuilding the walls is the key here. It, 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 it pinpoints the date of 14th of Nisan in 45 BC. That's 40, not 45 BC. Yeah, that's when Artaxerxes gave Daniel uh, mission to go and rebuild the walls. Now let me let me go back back up. And I'm, I'm unclear on that date. Yeah, I am too. I don't think it's 45. It's more like 450. 45. It's closer. 445 BC. Is that what you meant to say? Uh, that's, no, no. Dan, uh, Nehemiah was alive more like in the year 450, not in yeah. the year 45. Yeah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah predates the Daniel 9 prophecy probably for pretty close to 500 years. It doesn't predate Daniel by no. that amount of time, but he... But the fulfillment of those prophecies in Daniel 9 as Jesus appearing and accomplishing those things is some 450, 500 years in the future. From That's why I said, let me back up. Let me back up. I think you just misspoke. Not yeah, talking I, about Daniel. I'm talking about here 483 years after Daniel. Okay. Okay. All right. 482 years after Daniel? 483. Now, let me explain how I got that number. In verse 25, it says, until the prince, the Messiah, the prince comes, it's 62 weeks and seven weeks of years. So, that's 69 weeks times seven. That's 483 years. Now, okay. uh, we're talking about Jewish years. Every Jewish year is 360 days, not 65 days. So right. if you multiply 483 years times 360 days, you come out 173,880 days. So, from the 14th of Nisan in 45 BC, 175, I'm sorry, 173,880 days comes out to April 6, 32 AD. That's Palm Sunday. That's the day of the coming of the prince. 
the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a colt donkey. Right, right. So now if we go, let's go to John, John 12, 13. Yeah, that's the palm branches. Yeah. Next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. Coming in Jerusalem. Right. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is you, cones in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And she found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written about him, that he had done these things to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's found so in Matthew 21 also. About him coming riding on a donkey. Yeah, but rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. One of those perplexing prophecies about this humble Messiah that went against the grain of what people were expecting. So you're saying that the prophecies yeah, in yeah. Daniel, when you multiply out the days and the years, give you an exact day when this happened in, in um, yes. 32 AD? Yeah, April 6th. April 6th. Hmm. Well, not, you know, I, I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to dispute the numbers because I haven't studied it in that detail. I guess the problem that comes up in this, and I'm sure that the fellow in the book, when he was writing about it, took this into consideration, is that the switch over in our dating system from BC to AD is not consistent. Might leave a little bit of, might be problematic in some yeah, way. Yeah, to account for all that. Yeah, yeah. to account for that. Yeah. That, that's part of that is the 360 days, not 365 days. Right. Another and part of that is kind of accounting for the year zero. Yeah, there's no year zero. So from 1 BC to 1 AD, which is actually two years. Right. You also... Um, He's accounted for all that. I figured he probably did. Yeah, the Jews the Jews did adding a leap year, day, a day and every four years added... A month every so many years. Years. Yeah. I think it was every every four years or something. They had a whole month because they only had 360 days in a year instead of 365. Th- theirs is a lunar calendar based on the moon, not on this orbit of yeah. the. Yeah, he he also confirmed this with a um uh, astrology astrology uh, someone in astrology. Uh-huh. On the- what the date was for the moon okay, for Nehemiah. Okay. How many revolutions the moon would make or in that time period? 
I, I don't know the specifics here. I mean, I'm, you, I'm, no, I'm just saying that that's kind of what they do. Well, that would be the biggest question is this tra- one of the biggest questions transition uh, from one to the other, making sure you've got the right times. Um, and that fits the, perhaps the time period. You know, when I talk about when I talk about the death of Jesus, there's a couple of ways you figure this from the Gospels, from the time it says when he was 30 and he was when he was 30 and he began his ministry. Then you have to count the number of times he went to Jerusalem for the Passover and a couple of other things like that. Most people come up with somewhere around 33 A.D., some a little less than that uh, in time. Does that make any sense? This fellow saying it's 32 A.D. Now, maybe that would be accounted for by this year zero in the calendar. You know, sometimes you forget about that. It's just like, Ken, when people were worried about this change in the millennium here a few years ago. Um, yeah, <laughs> that really 2001 was the change of the millennium, not 2000. But anyway, uh, you get this discrepancy. Uh, you know, I heard someone else. I heard someone else go through this more recently. Uh, maybe was maybe just 10 years ago. And they said almost exactly the same thing, except I don't remember what date. I don't know if they said 32 A.D. or 33. I've always heard 33 A.D. most all of my life, but I'm not sure always what those people were basing that statement on. Um, Yeah, it it might be the zero. And that's probably right. Uh, that's probably where a lot of it is uh, in that case, but it's pretty close. Now, in any event, in any event, for Daniel to make this prophecy, for this to happen this way, that many years ahead of time, it is an astounding thing. And for someone like Jesus to, oh, I'm going to figure this out and make sure I make sure I fulfill this prophecy, you know, it's also a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't really Daniel. God told him. Yeah. He prayed and God told him. That's what he and Daniel said. Right. Yeah, someone texted in John has Jesus visit Jerusalem three times. So that that would put it somewhere around a three year ministry. So zero, one, and two. The first time uh, Daniel's prophecy until the coming of the prince, the Messiah. To the holy city. Holy city is Jerusalem. So the very important. So this is it's interesting. See, we put so much emphasis on the baby in the manger when the prophets put the emphasis a lot of times on these events, which are not, you know, as significant in a lot of people's thinking, him coming into Jerusalem like this. Of course, this was, now then you you draw back from this event a little bit, Ken, and you're seeing that it's really this whole last week from the time he came in 
to the time he was crucified, that was the focus of the Gospels. Much of the space in the Gospels is taken up with those events in that time frame. This coming into Jerusalem and the crowds and the crowds reacting the way they did, whether they knew what it was or not, really incensed the Pharisees and from a human perspective, led directly to his crucifixion. Had he come into Jerusalem quietly. Three, four days have... before his crucifixion. What's that? On Sunday, you see it four days before his crucifixion. Right. It's just, it's just, it was in the same week there. So, yes, he's going to be put to death very soon after this. He's going to spend his time, once he gets into Jerusalem, a lot of his time has been confronting the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you read about that in, in Matthew. He's confronting them. And then they they then become so insensitive and jealous. Even Pilate can see that they did it out of envy, that they wanted to put him to death for this reason. And so he so that's what happens to him there. Uh, now, those are yeah, that, this was all planned by God. It would have happened some other way. But this is the human background story behind it that the Gospels show us. Uh, the motivations of the people involved in it. But it's interesting, and that's one of the reasons that Gary and I talk about tradition on this show, because sometimes what would, what human thinking creates as important or significant is not necessarily significant from the standpoint of, of the scriptures. And and this is a case of this is a case like that. God makes this elaborate prophecy in 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 Zechariah and in Isaiah. I mean um, Daniel. And it's almost, you know, ignored, as it were. But, well, it's like there's. It's like when he says, behold, uh, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You know, the question is, which day? Well, it's. It's most likely, according to the book of Acts and Hebrews, the day of his resurrection. And what did it all what, kind of problems? Not, right, not and the day of his birth. And what exactly did he mean by begotten? Right. So you have this whole thing. We emphasize the birth. The Bible emphasizes the resurrection. And uh, it, culturally, we emphasize the birth. So, anyway, what what other points you want to make about this, Ken? Okay, let's go to Psalm one eighteen twenty five and twenty six. Um. Before you read that, this was the only time Jesus accepted worship as king. And I'll get to that in a second. Hang on. You said verse 25? Psalm 118, verse 25? Uh, And 118. Psalm 118. This is the, verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. So you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. So you're saying this, the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a reference to this same event, right? Yes. Yes, and now if you go to Luke 19, uh, I think, right, Luke 19, 37, 
Ben, as he was now drawing near. I'm sorry, what's that? Let me run this uh, up to make sure I, I, I'm not skipping something here. Uh, um, okay, so what I want to talk about here is what was said when he what what was said by the people when he came into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Well, that was one thing. Before that, before that, it's Greek. The Bible is Greek. Well, you stumped me for the way, huh? Hosanna? Hosanna. Yeah. Which is also in Psalm 118. He's saved now. Saved now, yeah. So they're they're looking at this king as the savior. Did you hear what I said? In, in no, I did not. Yeah, nah. Sounds pretty much the same. Hmm. I want. Yeah, it's interesting how they get these words. They bring them over to English like that, and sometimes when you hear the actual Hebrew, it doesn't sound to us at all like it matches up. But it is it is a it is a statement of praise. And it's not generally given to a man, at least generally a man. And I think in Matthew, it talks about them saying Hosanna. Uh, in the in the scripture in Matthew, yeah, yeah. Luke 19. Uh, let me look and see about that. My memory is saying it's Matthew uh, 21 here. Um, While you're looking that up, I was it was interesting to me going back to Psalm 118. It in the verses preceding verse 24, the two pretty famous verses: uh, "The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes." That's verses 22 and 23, basically identifying the Christ. That whole psalm is a messianic psalm. Yes, it is. Now, you said you mentioned Luke 19, but in Matthew 21, verse 9, it says, and then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, the New King James puts the phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in italics, which usually indicates it's a quotation from the Old Testament, which it is. On yeah. either side of that would Luke be Habab, yeah. framing that would be Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Those are the the two framing words. They're not in italics. So they're just they're saying those. It's like they're quoting those on their own, although the whole thing is in quotations because the people are saying this. So there's the phrase Hosanna in the New Testament being used at this event. Save us, come save us, the son of David. Right, in Psalm 118. Right, Psalm 118. So that's how this event is. This, these passages in the Old Testament are connected to this event, rather than some of the other events of Jesus' life. Hmm. What else do you? I never heard of that book, by the way, by Robert Anderson. I'll have to look it up. 
Um, uh, well, I, you know, I, I just looked at, I went on the internet and I saw that. I didn't know that until. Is it still in print or is it out of print? I, 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 well, I think you can get on, you can get, you can get a PDF on it, uh, on the internet. I was looking at, the, at it. Okay. Very good. Well, uh, can summarize we have another call so summarize this up here in a couple more minutes and then i'm going to have to Uh, last verse last verse luke uh 19 37 to 40. luke 19 37 through 40. then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the mount of olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So Jesus recognized it. Well, the Pharisees recognize they're giving him praise as the Messiah. And they say, you need to rebuke them for this. And he says, nope, they're speaking the (laughs) truth. I'm not going to rebuke them. (laughs) Because this was obviously a praise reserved for God. And God's anointed will be there. What's that? And he not only accepted it, he said if it didn't, if he would didn't let it happen, the stones would cry out. Stones would cry out, yes. So I'm sure this is this is where they the whole events, even though they've been against him, the this event turns the Pharisees very sharply to kill him because he's accepting this praise and the people and what they really saw was that the people responded the way that they did. They couldn't have that, couldn't let that happen. And so He's going to take away our place in our nation. Yes, and take away our place in our nation. Okay. One last comment. All right, go ahead. Matthew twenty-three thirty-nine. Twenty-two or twenty? I wrote down. Twenty-three. I wrote down. Yeah, that's what I wrote down. Twenty-three thirty-nine. Jesus says to Jerusalem, "You will not see me again until you say." Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're not going to see Jesus again until Jerusalem says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're not there yet. Your house is left to you desolate. And he destroys, the, he destroys Jerusalem 40 years after this or so. Between yeah. 35 and 40 years after this event, he destroys Jerusalem and the temple and all the other stuff, the records and everything is destroyed by the Romans. So, well, very interesting, Ken. I appreciate you calling. I'm going to, we're going to have to run on because we have another call. All right. I appreciate you calling that this morning and running us through these different scriptures. You won't, Aaron, you won't see me today because I got a call. Okay. Well, like all the other listeners, you, you have a good holiday, okay? What's that? I said I'm a giving person, but I don't want to give my cold. You don't want to give the cold. Yeah, I appreciate that. Although I'm immune to all you people. Anyway. Happy holidays, Ken. Happy holidays, too. Thank you. 
for for calling this morning. Well, Jerry's here. Let me give the Jerry. Hold on, ten more seconds. You can reach the show at seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. You can reach the show. Call this morning. Got plenty of time left. Seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. All right, Jerry. What's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, happy holidays. I was just uh, uh, wondering about. Uh, you discussed that the, uh, I asked a question that the Levites were Ethiopian uh, Hebrews, and uh, I was just wondering, one of the uh, astronomers, the uh, three wise men that that followed the star, uh, 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 I assumed it was a North Star, I really don't know, uh, but was one of the three wise men uh, a Levite, uh, because all the uh, paintings that we're seeing, one of the uh, Wise man is a black man, and uh, and if you had time, uh, could you uh, just inform a, a layman uh, about the house of Esther and who Esther was? Uh, but I'm just basically wondering uh, did, I, did I understand that correctly that uh, a Levite was an Ethiopian uh, a Hebrew? And uh, I'd like to listen off air, Mike. Could that be okay? That's fine, Jerry. I appreciate that. Well, uh, I, I'm sh- I don't think from the standpoint of the Old Testament that the definition of a Levite is an Ethiopian Hebrew. Levite, Levi, a man named Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, or who later was renamed Israel, one of the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. And he was the fourth son. No, that's Judah. Uh, which one was Levi? Thank you. Well, I forget. Fixed son. I have to look it up. But um, Levi was the tribe when they came into the well before they came into the land of Canaan that Moses, through God, appointed to be the priests through the law of Moses. So, through the law of Moses, the Levites, the Levites are the sons of Levi, specifically sons of Aaron and then Kohath, that that um, were appointed to be the priests of Israel. They were given no land inheritance, so they had no tribal territory as such, a couple of cities, but but they were scattered throughout Israel to be teachers of the people as Levites. Their their job was to administer the rites at the sanctuary or the tabernacle, and then later in the temple, certain groups of them would rotate in and out. That's why you have like Zacharias in Luke 1 and 2, uh, who was a Levite, and he was taken. He was in the temple when God showed him a vision about the birth of a boy named John, who later became John the Baptist, and all this kind of thing. So the Levites were just a tr- one of the tribes of Israel. Now the connection to Ethiopia is is um, two two possible connections of Israel to Ethiopia. Number one, Moses was of the tribe of Levi. And Moses married an Ethiopian woman because in the Old Testament, the word for Ethiopia was Cush, C-U-S-H. At least that's one of the names for the general vicinity and people living in Ethiopia. And Moses married an Ethiopian woman and his sister and brother objected to it. Miriam and Aaron objected to it, especially Miriam. And God struck her with leprosy because he objected to this. Now, we don't know what color the Ethiopians are for sure, except there's a reference in the Old Testament. You know, can the leopard change his spots? Can the Ethiopian change his skin? So there's a 
a reference there perhaps to the fact that the Ethiopians had different skin color than the Hebrews as such. Got the Bible makes no difference a distinction as far as worth or value because of that, but there was a difference. So yes, Ethiopians have a connection going back with Israel, but and then we find in the New Testament, Jerry in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty-six, verse thirty-six. Well, verse twenty-six. It starts uh, after Christ has been crucified. There's an Ethiopian who is obviously a proselyte who is following the law of Moses. He has come from Ethiopia and Africa all the way to Jerusalem to worship, and he has questions about what he's reading, and. Philip preaches to him, and he is baptized. You want to read those verses? Then? Well, that it's that, the, the long. It's it's pretty long. Okay. The identifying verses start in verse 26 of Acts, Acts 8. 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So so he preaches to this man about Jesus, it says, and he says, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so they both went down the water and Philip baptizes Ethiopian and he went on his way rejoicing, meaning he went back to Ethiopia. And so Ethiopia, even historically, is one of the first places outside Palestine where the gospel of Christ was established and the church has been there for a long time. Now, it's often called a, a Coptic church now. And in fact, some people, Gary, will tell you that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. Yeah. Some Coptic temple and this kind of thing. But we all know that it's in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. Because I saw the forklift put it in place in this big warehouse in Indiana Jones. So we all know where the Ark is. But at least that's the that's the idea that it's in Ethiopia that could be in Ethiopia. Some people say that. So there's a long connection between the two. And and Moses probably got his connection with Ethiopia because if you go further down the Nile, you go into Ethiopia, just south of Egypt. Right. There's on the east part Egypt. of Africa. That's right. Because Moses was raised in Egypt. So let's put it this way: in Old Testament times, the tribe of Levi, no, they were not from Africa. They were not Ethiopians. They were Hebrews. The people that came up out of Egypt with uh, with Moses, they were all descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or na- his name was changed to Israel, and Joseph, and his, and and all that. And then you have Moses comes out, him and his brother and sister Miriam, and then they go into the wilderness with all the people. So there's not they're not Africans. Pardon me. They're not Africans by ethnicity or skin color. Uh, they came out of Africa, was raised there, but they were Egyptian. And so they went into, into Palestine and so forth. Now, were there proselytes of Moses? See, anybody, any Gentile could become a Jew by going through the ceremony and keeping the law and pledging themselves to keep the law of Moses. Being circumcised. Gentile, yes, yeah, being circumcised. That's part of what I meant. And so any Jew could do this. And they became then an Israelite, and they were to be accepted. And you have all kind of laws and regulations about the proselytes. When you come to the New Testament time, you see that these proselytes were among the first Christian 
and so forth. But they were not ethnically. Excuse, I'm going to sneeze again. Sorry, I have no idea. But these. Um, they were not ethnically Hebrew per se, but they were considered Jews or Israelites, even though they were like this Ethiopian. Now, do we know what color this man's skin was? We do not know. Does not say. We know he was a eunuch, maybe castrated to be in the court of the queen. That was very typical and all that kind of stuff. Man of great authority and all that. But he was Ethiopian. So the chances are, yes, likely he, had, he was he had a different skin color than the likely he was black, but it's not absolutely it necessary because it doesn't matter. But it doesn't say that here in the text per se. And I'm not trying to say yes or no. I'm just saying you can't tell by the statement that he came from Ethiopia and, and it doesn't matter. In any event, but in any event, this so the Levites were not African or Ethiopian. Are there are there in the Coptic church or and some Ethiopian circles people that call themselves descendants of the Levite? Yeah, there probably are. Now, that would be my guess. A lot of people have taken this uh, some of these scriptures and some of the traditions and said, well, the Africans are really where the church started and where the Jews started. There are all kinds of theories out there in the nation of Islam about this stuff, but I don't think that that's what it was. Could a man, could a man in Bible times from Ethiopia become a priest and serve in the temple? The answer would be no. If they were following the law, because he would have to be a direct descendant, have to be a Moses, blood descendant of the Levi. Moses' son, you know, so forth, Kohath, and so on, had to be this direct descendant, and they're not from Ethiopia. So in Bible times, the answer is no. Now, Was that one of the restrictions on the uh, proselytes? That could they marry within those families? I think so. Yes, perhaps. Okay. I'd have to look at the. I have to look at it whether the proselytes can marry. So, uh, but that's. But that would be their children. It wouldn't be them. They would not be a proselyte who came from some other place outside of the tribes of Israel could be an Israelite under the law. But there were restrictions on that. And they themselves then couldn't become a priest because they weren't born in the tribe of Levi. Uh, uh, as far as I know, that would be the that would be the way it was understood. And that's the that's the essence of it. Now, where I've never looked up Ethiopian Levite, I've never looked that up, or Ethiopian Hebrews. The, uh, were were there people in Ethiopia who were proselytes of Moses in Israel? Yes, the, the this Ethiopian eunuch is one of them. But were they considered to be ethnically Jews, able to serve in the temple? No. Okay, so anyway. The the other question that you had, unless you want to say more about that, Gary, he had, said no, Esther, no. He had a question about Esther, uh, which is interesting, too. Now, historically, in um, 605 and so forth, uh, B.C., you have the, and, and 586 B.C., you had the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple by the Babylonians. And m many of the people, huge numbers of the people, were carried away into Babylon at that time into captivity. And others stayed behind. Jeremiah stayed behind. He prophesied to the people still in the land in Jerusalem. 
uh, Ezekiel and Daniel were carried away. They prophesied to the people in Babylon. And then God said after 70 years, they could return and so forth. Well, right after the Babylon, not all of them did return to the land of Palestine. And they didn't go back. And after the after the Babylonians rule was just was over, uh, they were overwhelmed by the uh, Persians and so forth. The new king there in Persia kept some of the Jews. And like in other stories from Joseph onward, these Jewish slaves and Jewish people proved to be great administrators, great servants and so forth. And so they found positions of influence in the kingdom of um, the Persian kings. And one of these people who found position was a man named uh, Mordecai. Mordecai was a Benjaminite. Right. And he he was a Benjaminite. He had a position of some influence in the city. His niece was taken because of her beauty and later became the queen or the wife of the king uh, here in in the book of Esther. She became the wife of Ahasuerus, as the Bible calls him. Probably Xerxes is his historical name, Xerxes I, and she became the queen. Now, the whole book of Esther then is about her story in saving Israel. There was a plot against the Jews that on a certain day, wherever they were in the kingdom of Persia, the people were able, going to be able to rise up on that day and kill all the Jews with impunity. And they were going to try to wipe out the Jews. And so Esther and her uncle Mordecai uncover this plot, make a plea with the king. And you can read about this in chapter four, the famous verse, who knows whether you're coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. You can read about that, if that circumstance there in Esther chapter four, particularly. And Israel is spared. The Jews are spared this destruction throughout the whole world by Esther. And because of that, a whole her name was Hadassah in Hebrew. Esther was her Persian name, name. Greek name. Yeah. But, but Hadassah was her name. And so you have the daughters of Hadassah, which today I think is a Jewish group for women, young girls, Hadassah. And they celebrate this holiday in her honor, the Feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M, is kept today by many Jews. It's a holiday, a feast of joy because of the, um, it's not a feast of the Lord. It's not one that God established himself, but it's a traditional feast, came about during the time of Esther in the 400s BC, where they were celebrating being saved from this destruction. It's really a lot, and it gets remembered, it's read in the synagogue, and it is remembered along with the story, read especially when they're remembering things like the Holocaust and other events like that. They're going to read the story of Esther, that God is going to spare them, God's going to protect them from this destruction, and Esther is the symbol that God's providence is going to, now that's, that's what the Bible says about Esther. The Feast of Purim is not mentioned in the New Testament that I know of. It's a feast of the Jews, so it isn't something that they would keep. It's not, well, it's not pointing to the Messiah, per se. Well, there's a couple of unique things, I think, about Esther. Is One, that 
the one that impresses me most is God is not mentioned specifically in at all in the book of by Esther name. by name. Yeah. His presence is implied everywhere. Yeah, the whole book is about him saving his people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And the other thing that I've read so far, so far, there has been no discovery of any copies or portions of the book of Esther in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Is that right? Yes. What do you know? Well, it's a it's to considered to be a, a big thing by the Jews and still read today yeah. in synagogues. But <clears throat> that's the flyover view from 10,000 feet, as they would say, of the book of Esther and who who Esther was. And so um, I'm not I don't know the reason why Jerry asked the question, but that's what I would say about her. So go read the book of Esther. It's not very long. It's an interesting thing. And you need to read um you have to read a little bit of the you, you, perhaps you can read some of the history behind it. It's interesting that the self de- self-defense community in the U.S. today reads Esther a lot. Well, yeah, because it's a book that says you're allowed to you're allowed to defend, defend yourself. yourself. You're allowed to defend yourself from these. See, God, God gave the Jews the right and the king of Persia gave the Jews the right to defend themselves against their enemies on that day and they did defend themselves on that day he didn't give them the right to take offensive uh weapons out against their enemies he gave the right to defend themselves so it's it is an interesting book for that reason and it's important one to orthodox jews and um, there are some other names like you know holidays stuff i can't pronounce that just kind of brings up the general idea in the in the Bible or in among Jewish culture, there are two different kinds of feasts. They're the feasts of the Lord mentioned, or the assemblies of the Lord mentioned. Or I think the King James calls them convocations, a call to assembly. And in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 23, Passover, um, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Tabernacles, Yom Kippur, those things. Then there are a couple of other feasts of the Jews. The feasts of the Jews would include, at least from where we're sitting, Hanukkah and uh, Purim here. Now, Purim is mentioned in the Old Testament at the end of the book of Esther. It mentions that the Jews begin to keep this (laughs) yearly celebration in memory of Esther and her her good deeds, they keep this feast of Purim, even in Old Testament. But that's the very end of the Old Testament. This is toward the very end of the Old Testament when this happens. And then you have the feast of Hanukkah or dedication, which developed after the Old Testament time was completely gone over. This happened between the Testaments, time when the Syrian Greeks had conquered uh, uh, Israel and Judah. You read about this in the apocryphal books of the Maccabees. Uh, that the Maccabees family, a family of priests, drove out the Syrians who had desecrated the temple, and they wanted to rededicate the temple after it had pigs offered on it. And so they had oil to rededicate it, and they had enough oil for one day, but it turned into eight days of oil. So Hanukkah becomes a feast that the Jews established for themselves, not a God-ordained feast, not a feast of the Lord, but a feast they established for themselves to give God praise for his saving them and giving them oil to rededicate the lights of the temple. And that's where you get the Hanukkah lights and it's a festival of lights. They would say, I mean, even Adam Sandler knows that it's a festival (laughs) of lights, right? 
Right. But then you have in John chapter 10, you have mention of this holiday that the Jews were keeping, not as a feast of the Lord, but as a feast of the Jews. But it says it was winter and it was a feast of dedication and Jesus walked in the temple, walked in the temple area. So you have this and he's he's talking about he's the light of the world and he's the bread of life and he's the water, living water. All these symbols that they were celebrating at Hanukkah, or as they would call her dedication. Jesus says, I'm the one that this is talking about. That's the kind of the gist of John 8 and so forth and 10, 8 through 10. You see this this whole thing happening. And it's a feast of the Jews. And so now, so it's ironic, as I would say, Christmas is not mentioned in the Bible, but Hanukkah is, is as a celebration, as a feast. There's no celebration of Christmas. There's no mention of Christmas in the Bible as such. Now, you say, oh, well, what about the birth of Jesus? Well, yeah, the birth of Jesus in the Bible, but it's never called Christmas. We're not told what to do with it. We don't have any any notion, any hint, even a, even a slight hint of keeping a yearly festival to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Every historian, whatever the religion they are, will always say that there is not one mention or hint of a yearly feast or celebration of two things. They say there's no no yearly festivals, especially with regard to the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. No yearly commemoration in the New Testament. This fact, it either escapes modern Christians or it doesn't matter to them, Gary. That's what alarms you the most. It's one thing for us for it to escape. But there, there is one. For it not to matter that the Bible says nothing about it. That's another whole thing. But I'd like to point out there is one celebration that we are given basically to, to keep, and that's the Lord's Supper. Right. He does give a he does give a repeatable feast as a, yes, but it's a weekly feast of the Lord's Supper, and that's ignored in denominations. Ken texted in Purim. That is Purim means lots that they would cast lots to pick the day that they would kill the Jews. They drew lots to, uh, for a date to kill all the Jews according to the law, but according to the law of Persia, the king could not change this decree. So he made a new decree to allow the Jews to defend themselves. That's what you're referring to. Yeah. So he couldn't change the decree made that the Persians could kill the Jews, but he made a new decree that the Jews could defend themselves. Anyway, our time is close to gone here. You want to wrap this up, Gary, with that 30 well, seconds? Well, just one quick. If you want to read Esther, you'll love it because the bad guy gets his just, just desserts in the end. It is a great story. It's a tremendous story. And uh, I think you should go ahead and read the book of Esther. Glad Jerry brought it up today. It is a, a book about God's providence. Well, let me thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. I know many of you are busy with things going on in your homes and all that kind of stuff. And we're glad that you tuned in today. We thank you. Hope you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. And we hope that you'll uh, make it a point to read your Bible every day this year. It's the New Year's coming up. We'd like to invite you to our worship services this morning at 10 for a Bible class on how to study the Bible and at 11 for our regular worship where we'll have the Lord's Supper, as Gary just mentioned, as well as preaching and prayer and singing. We'd love to invite you and your family. We're not going to ask you for money if you come. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. You come and you be with people that love the Lord and want to just do what God says in the Bible. And we appreciate that. And bring your children. We have Bible classes, I mentioned. So, we also want to tell you where we meet, which is 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 
2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. Just behind the little Milk and Things shopping center with the daycare, or right behind that building on the west side of the road at the corner of California and Savona. So come and be with us today. May God bless you and your family. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.